He must increase, but I must decrease. You know, that's one of the simplest statements made in the Bible, and yet one of the most profound statements, typical of John the Baptist. We find in Mark chapter 1 and verse 7 that John the Baptist preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. That's humility. That's a desire to be unknown. Oh, what could be done for Christ if nobody cared who got the credit. I'd like to talk today about striving to be unknown. Striving to be a nobody. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power, featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John and the third chapter, John chapter 3. I was visiting with a gentleman here, a good man, a few weeks ago. And uh, we were talking about a, a situation that took place years ago. Uh, this gentleman had served in the, the local school system for, for decades, and they wanted to name a school after him. And he uh, deferred the honor. And I thought to myself afterwards, would I have done that? I mean, such an honor. Have something named after you and, and in modesty say no thanks. I'd like to talk today about striving to be unknown. Striving to be a nobody, to be obscure, to not get any recognition and any credit. Here in John chapter 3, we pick up a familiar story in verse 26. It says, And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom which standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This, my joy therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray. Father, we just ask you, dear Lord, to bless this thought. Bless this time, bless this truth. Father, bless this principle from thy word. Help us now not to just be faithful hearers, but to take in that which we hear, and more importantly, to put it to practice in our own personal Christian lives. Oh, Father, may we strive to be unknown, that Christ would receive all the glory and preeminence, for we ask it in his precious name. Amen. My mother had a saying, I guess, of sorts, as we were kids growing up, if something would get done around the house and nobody really knew who did it, one of us kids would say, well, how did that get done? And we'd hear this voice, the voice of my mother over in the corner, just simply say to herself, she's efficient in a quiet way. Something else would happen and it would get done and us kids would go, how did, how did that get done? And this voice would say, she's efficient in a quiet way. Speaking of herself. That was kind of a motto about herself, and I thought it was interesting and didn't really know where it came from until one day, maybe in my mid-teens, I, I was looking through her high school yearbook, her, her graduation senior year uh, yearbook, 
And, and as I was looking at the, the pictures of the students, I, I looked in the A's and I found Adarine Austin, my mom. And the uh, school book staff, the yearbook staff, had kind of given a little expression to sum up that particular senior. And they each had things written about them. And under my mom's picture, guess what it said? She's efficient in a quiet way. And then I realized finally why she always said that. That was my mom. Efficient in a quiet way. Didn't make a lot of noise about what she did. She just went about doing it anonymously, unknowingly. When we use the word unknown, what are we talking about? When we use the word anonymous, what are we talking about? An anonymous person is a nameless person. They are, they are uncredited for what they do. They are unacknowledged for what they do. They just kind of work behind the scenes. They are unknowns and glad to be unknown. You know, we find here in our text that John the Baptist has been preaching for about a year and a half or so. That's about the length of his ministry. And, and yet, of those born of women, Jesus Christ said, there hath not arisen a greater than John. We find out that John had some followers, and if you study how the church was started during the earthly days of Jesus Christ, Christ took some of those followers and and they began to follow him instead of John. Well, we pick it up in verse number uh, 26 once again, and it says, And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. Here's these followers of John, or who's ever left of them, and they're a little bit bugged by something. Jesus now has taken the spotlight off of John, and he's receiving all the preeminence and all the attention and doing all the miracles, and people are following him, and he's he's winning them to himself, and and he's baptizing them. And we find out in verse 27, John answered his disciples. He said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. In other words, this is of God. Don't worry about it, guys. Verse 28, he says, Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He says, I am not the Messiah. I am not the anointed. I am just the forerunner. I'm just the voice of one crying in the desert and blazing the path and preparing the way before the Lord. And then he uses an illustration. He he said, the bridegroom has the bride. And they're the two that belong together. He said, I'm just a friend of the bridegroom. And that's how he sums up himself as kind of the sidekick of the Savior. And then he makes a great statement in verse 30. Speaking of Christ, he says, He must increase, but I must decrease. You know, that's one of the simplest statements made in the Bible. And yet one of the most profound statements, one of the greatest statements, typical of John the Baptist. We find in Mark chapter 1 and verse 7 that John the Baptist preached saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose. That's humility. That's a desire to be unknown. As we talk about that today and striving to be unknown, let's talk about, first of all, what I call society's applause. The applause of society. We live in a world that is seeking credit that lives to get the the name and drops names and jockeys for position and wants to get that attention, and and even sometimes quietly behind the scenes. So they might act humble, they might look humble, but, but they want others to know what they're doing. They want to be interesting. They want a, a pat on the back. You know, I smile sometimes when I think of uh, new social media networks like Facebook and, and Instagram, and, and there's a lot of it 
that uh, goes on just as, as, as a result of people wanting everybody to know what they're doing. You know, aren't I interesting? And it's, it's all about me. Now, it, it's fine to keep up with friends and relatives, and I'm not poo-pooing that, but, but let me just say, telling the whole world when you're doing this and telling the whole world when you're doing that can really be a waste of time, number one, and it can be a real a turning inward as well and also trying to look good and trying to receive uh, recognition. And some people, their self-esteem counts on that. They, they are perhaps a little bit emotionally crippled. There are many who get into politics and they do it for power. They talk about public service and that's a lot of hooey. Basically, they love the power. There are many who get into entertainment and they do it because they love the fame. Do you know how many rock stars or country stars get into it because they're applause junkies? And I've talked to some former ones and they'll tell you that. I had to have that acclaim. I had to, to have that attention. They're applause junkies. They want to be known. They want to have their own emotional needs met. And their self-esteem is counting on this, that recognition. The world is all about image. And the world is, is all about appearance. And the world is all about the exterior. And by the way, that's why they think we as Christian people are, are weirdos because we don't, for the most part, worry about that stuff. But, but they think, boy, you're not fitting in. So what? Looks at, look in Acts chapter 17, if you would. Did you know that to the world, for the most part, born-again Christians are a joke? In Acts chapter 17, it's always been that way because you go back to ancient Athens and you find that Paul's preaching the truth to, to these men who are big brains and had been educated in the higher halls of learning and, and they were the intelligentsia of the day and Paul just simply talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And in Acts chapter 17 and in verse number 18, the Bible says, then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him and some said, what will this babbler say? In the Greek means seed picker, base fellow, lowly person. What will this babbler say? Others, some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods. They didn't get it, did they? <laughs> because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. Christians have always been considered weirdos. Or even biblical positions have been considered way out there. I read recently a, a writer for the Washington Post, I think it was, I can't remember, but not even a born-again Christian came out and she said that she believed in creation, a literal creation. I'm telling you, you would have, you'd have thought it was the end of the world. I mean, she was just laughed out of, out of the, 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 the world of writing as, as though she were some idiot. Dumb bunnies. <laughs> That's another expression my mother always used. <laughs> Dumb bunnies. They don't get it. Look at Acts chapter 26. It's all about preeminence to the world. Here in Acts chapter 26, we find the Apostle Paul on trial. And again, he's testifying of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And in verse number 24, it says, And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. He said, Paul, all this religious junk has whacked you out. You flipped. You've, you've gone over the deep end. And there was Herod next to him, if you read it, I'm sure, rolling his eyes and, and smirking. But, but, you know, Paul took it in stride. He took it in stride. We should as well. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4.9. He said, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to men. We are made a spectacle unto the world. By the way, did you hear about the optometrist who backed into his lens grinder and 
made a spectacle of himself. Ah, <laughs> that was a good one, I know. But anyway, Paul says we are made a spectacle unto the world and to men. Because the world strives for preeminence, plain and simple. For fame and, and for priority and for dom- denomination. And, and, and sadly, sadly, this can kind of even leak over into a church setting sometimes. Back during the days of uh, John, the aged apostle, he writes his little epistles there toward the end of the Bible. And he writes and he mentions a guy by the name of Diotrephes in 3 John 1.9. He says, I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. He mentions this guy, and he'll forever go down in infamy, as the fellow who wanted the credit, the fellow who wanted the glory, the guy who wanted the preeminence. You know, more than once, the apostles got caught up in this, didn't they? And we find them arguing for, for uh, the best position up in heaven and, and talking about who would be the greatest and all that kind of thing. You know, over the years here at Fargo Baptist Church, I've noticed people, and in 26 years you do a lot of observing, and I've noticed people, and they've come and gone. They're people who wouldn't want to do the lowly jobs, the base jobs, the grunt jobs. But if there was something highly visible, if there was a, a, a glamorous position, if there was a lofty ministry, that's what they gravitated to. And uh, as time went on, I've seen a lot of them come and go. They, they stop serving because they can't be somebody. They get, they get their feelings hurt. That's not why they claim they leave. They always make up another reason. But the bottom line is they weren't somebody. And they had the wrong motives in the first place. It's not about being somebody. There's a lot of high-maintenance people in churches, and I'm not saying we have a bunch of them here, but there's, there's always those, they have something they just have to say. There are always people who start fires, and you've got to go around, you've got to put them out because they think too highly of themselves. All of it could be avoided if we would just die to self, if we were just dead to self. The truth is there are over 7 billion people in this world. That means if, if you or if, if I... Uh, died tomorrow, 7 billion people wouldn't even know it. If we dropped off the face of the earth, they wouldn't even miss us. We're really not that big a deal. (laughs) That's what I'm trying to say. You know, there are very few people in in the world that are household names. Maybe the President of the United States, uh, and most know maybe the Vice President of the United States. But you start even getting down to the U.S. Senators, and there's a hundred of them. And I wonder how many of us could even name a dozen of them. We might know the ones in our state and the neighboring state and so on and so forth, but, but as high as a U.S. senator is, the average American doesn't even know most of them. Bottom line is, we're not that important. If a U.S. senator isn't even that big a deal, we're not that big a deal. Diotrephes was not that big a deal. He thought he was. He loved to have the preeminence. And you know what his problem was? Insecurity. Insecurity. Uh, he had a little power and it went to his head kind of like the little kid who was made the hall monitor. You know, stopping every, oh, stop there, you know, and having to direct traffic where there wasn't any need to direct it. And, and just all that, that Barney Fife attitude of, of giving a little power, it just goes to the head, and I've got to be somebody, and that was Diotrephes. The Bible says in Romans 12 and in verse 3, For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You know, we need to learn not to take ourselves so seriously. Truly. 
And we also need to learn to keep the old pride in check. And we also need to learn to uh, embrace obscurity. It's okay to be anonymous. It is okay to stay in the background. I can't think of many people in this world that, that work in the background more than my wife and has for over a quarter of a century around here. You know, preacher, it's funny how people have their image of, of what the pastor's wife ought to be. Oh, she ought to be front center. She ought to be out front. She ought to be making the speech. She ought to be doing that. Where is she in that corner? There's nothing in the Bible about the pastor's wife. <laughs> I mean, you, you find some stuff for me. She's the pastor's wife. But I can't think of a greater worker in this church and somebody that has stayed in the background for years and, and worked behind the wall and you just never see her. But boy, she gets a lot done. And I thank God for that. So there's society's applause. But secondly, let's talk about the saint's attitude. The saint's attitude. In Matthew 26, or I'm sorry, 16 and verse 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him, notice these words, deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A life of following Christ is a life of self-denial. It's a life of, of picking up the cross, but getting it on the shoulder where it's between you and the public and, and you hide behind it. And they don't see you. And all you do is you just follow him. That is to be the saint's attitude. John the Baptist said, he must increase, but I must decrease. John never had a goal to be somebody. Evidently, his apostles did. His followers did. It bugged them that, that they were losing their, their, their fame. It, it bothered the apostles of Jesus as well. But John knew that he was just a, a little glowworm. Uh, trying to cast a little bit of a glow in, in the, the huge, bright, radiant, uh, radiant light of the sun, S-U-N, of God, if you will. Now, what is the saint's attitude? Well, the saint's attitude ought to be to magnify Christ, to just stay an absolute nobody because Jesus Christ is the only one worthy of the credit and of the glory and of 100% of it, plus nothing, minus nothing. Bible says in Hebrews 3.3, 3, for this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. Think about that. Uh, God gives us this, uh, this uh, illustration here. The one who builds the house is worthy of more honor than the house itself. Jesus Christ built all things. He's the creator of all things. And as good a man as Moses was, as great a man as Moses was, the Bible says Jesus Christ was, was counted of far more glory and, and credit than he, and there's really no comparison whatsoever. Look in Psalm 72, if you would. You say, how can you compete with the Son of God? You can't. Don't. John the Baptist knew it. He said, fellas, forget it. He must increase. I must decrease. We find some wonderful words here as David the psalmist is kind of ending his writing career. And he kind of signs off with these words in Psalm 72 and in verse 17. He's talking about God. He says, His name shall endure forever. His name shall be continued as long as the sun. And men shall be blessed in Him. All nations shall call Him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel who only doeth wondrous things, and blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. That's how he signs off. Just magnifying God, just praising God, just glorifying God. Over in England, there's 
in London, the British Museum. And uh, you can go and you can look at artifacts from all the eras. If you've ever doubted the existence of a man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, just, just visit the British Museum. There's all kinds of proofs of his existence. And long about 580 B.C., Nebuchadnezzar was at the height of his kingdom. He was intoxicated with his power. And he has this dream, and in this dream there's this image, and on the image there's this head of gold, and, and there's this chest of silver, and, and the loin section is, is brass, and the legs are of iron, and the feet are of iron and clay. You remember the story? And what God was doing was telling Nebuchadnezzar how this thing was going to play out. The golden head represented Babylon, followed by the Medo-Persian Empire, followed by Greece, and, and then Rome, and then the kingdom yet to come, the revived Roman Empire, that which will take place under the, the Antichrist. And while Nebuchadnezzar is watching this vision, all of a sudden, the Bible, uh, it describes it as a stone cut out without hands. It's, it's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the rock, he comes out of nowhere, he hits that image by the feet, it shatters in a zillion pieces, and the wind blows it away like the, 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 the threshing floor does the chaff, and that's the end of all those kingdoms. And we find a picture of how the thing's going to end. I mean, don't wring your hands at what's going on in this world. Don't worry about all this stuff going on, all the wickedness and all the high places. The Bible tells us one day in Revelation eleven fifteen, there was a great voice in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. All the glory belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. All the glory belongs to the one who was tortured on the cross for our sins, who endured the, the nightmare of Calvary. And Jesus Christ said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And, th- and that power is the same power that upholdeth all things by His Word, the whole universe. And it ought to be enough for us to just want to hide behind the cross. It ought to be enough for us to just give Him all the glory. The Bible says in Colossians 1.18 that he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Notice these words, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Not in some things, not in most things, but in all things he should have the glory. He should have the preeminence. Dr. Horatio Bonner said many years ago he could always tell when a, a Christian was growing. That Christian would talk less of himself and more of the Savior. That Christian would grow smaller in his own eyes. F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer used to uh, preach that the gifts of God are like gifts that are on these shelves that go higher and higher. And as you grow, you can reach the next gift. And he realized that was totally backwards. He flipped his preaching along and around and he said those gifts are on shelves that, that descend. And as we descend, as we humble ourselves, as we bend low, then and only then can we receive those gifts. F.B. Meyer, by the way, who uh, was 82 years of age and dying in a nursing home, made quite a statement to a friend of his two weeks before he died. The friend came in to visit him and found F.B. Meyer weeping. And he said, Preacher, what's wrong? And F.B. Meyer said, I've written some books over the years. And he said, "Uh, those books have talked about sanctification. And in the process, he says, "I've, I've gained quite a reputation for holiness. He said, it makes me want to creep into heaven unnoticed. I've always loved that comment. It makes me want to creep into heaven 
unnoticed. You know, the Bible tells us in Galatians 5 and verse 24, they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. We who are Christ have put to death that flesh, that carnal side, that desire for recognition, and the affections and lusts. There was an evangelist by the name of Azahel Nettleton, and they asked him, how does he safeguard his pride? He had a lot, I guess, by human standards, to be proud of. He said, I safeguard my pride by keeping an eye on my own sinfulness. Livingston was the man who said, if there's anything of praise written about me, I will not read it, I will not preserve it, I do not want to know about it. William Carey was the one who said, when, when Carey is gone, don't speak of William Carey, speak of William Carey's Savior. You know, the church at Corinth was playing the name game, very silly, but they were kind of uh, exalting men and saying, I'm of Apollos, and, and I'm of Paul, and I'm of Cephas. And Paul wrote to them, he said in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 5, who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed. Who are we? We're nothing. We're really not. You know, there are a lot of uh, image-oriented people, and all that matters is if they look good. Maybe you know somebody like that. All that matters is the external. There are, there, are, there are churches, I've seen churches that have that spirit. It can just be a matter of, as long as everything looks good on the surface, we're fine. There's not that transparency there. There's this silent competition that's going there. And there are people who are jockeying for recognition and, and preeminence and position. We need to strive to be unknown. Back in, in 1847, there was a doctor in Edinburgh, Scotland, who came up with, with chloroform. Up to that time, I'm telling you, it was agony to go under the knife. It was agony to go through surgery. Can you imagine what a blessing it was when this man discovered chloroform? And there were a number of other things that he discovered as well. And he was asked one day, Doctor, what is your, your greatest discovery? He said, my greatest discovery is when I discovered that myself was a sinner and Jesus Christ was my Savior. That is the greatest discovery you'll make. Thomas Shepard was the founder of of Harvard back in, I think, about the mid-1600s. The founder of Harvard. One day, um, an associate of his walked in on him as as he was praying in a chair with a, a paper crumpled up, a newspaper crumpled up, and tears were streaming down in his face. And what he had in his hand was the New England Gazette. And the associate just turned around and left and didn't really understand what was going on that day until Shepard died and they read in his diary the excerpt from that day, November 10th, 1642. And Shepard said this, he said, Today I wrestled with the last bit of my pride. And they, they looked at the paper and, and they went back to it and they found in the paper there was a sermon that Shepard had preached. And he was kind of known as the famous preacher at that time. But there was another up-and-coming preacher that was getting more known than him. And they gave his sermon uh, kind of the higher spot there in the paper above Shepherd's. And Shepherd was saying in so many words, he was struggling with his pride. He said in his diary, I am fasting to overcome my pride. The internal demons of wanting recognition. God help us. It doesn't matter if we never get credit here. You know, it was the Pharisees who would pray in the synagogues and out on street corners and, and have their flactories and make sure everybody saw them. 
twist their faces as if they were fasting. And Jesus said, verily, they have their reward. They have their reward. It's pride, plain and simple. And it's, it's really fatal to our relationship with the Lord. We read in James 4, 6 that God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. We see society's applause. We see, secondly, the saint's attitude. Finally, let's take a look at the Savior's acknowledgement. If God acknowledges what we're doing, if we hear one day a well done, thou good and faithful servant, isn't that all that matters? Nothing else really matters but the Savior's acknowledgement. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.11, but we are made manifest unto God. God notices it. God sees it. God recognizes it. God appreciates it. We are made manifest unto God. We don't need to manifest ourselves. We don't need the kudos and, and the pats on the back from the society. All we need to know is that God noticed, and that's all that matters. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6.9, we are unknown and yet well-known. Now you say, how could that be? Well, we are nobodies to the world. Born-again Christians, forget it. They, they really don't give a hoot about us. We are unknown, yet well-known. We are well-known to God. We are well-known to the angels. We are well-known to heaven. We're strangers on this earth, but we are well-known to those above. You know, as I think of those who have lived and breathed and died... And, and really even suffered for the faith. I, I was thinking this last week of the millions of martyrs who died through the Dark Ages and other times as well that we owe a great debt to. They went down to their graves and we don't even know their names. We'll meet them one day in heaven. None of us have died for the faith. Do we really need any honor? We don't need any honor. We shouldn't seek any honor. Oh, what could be done for Christ. Oh, what could be done for Christ if nobody cared who got the credit. And we can know that's a truth, and we can talk about that truth, but can we really practice that truth? What we could do for Christ if nobody cared who got the credit. Somebody so well said, the sweetest music comes from the smallest birds. Isn't that the truth? The sweetest music comes from the little birds. And there's going to be a great reward one day for those who are willing to be nobodies. We read in Isaiah 57:15, For thus saith the high and lofty one, that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit. This is God talking, reminding us of his glory and his, his exalted name and his honor. And he says, you know who I'm going to dwell with? I'm going to dwell with him also, that is of a contrite and a humble spirit. There's a great reward for being unknown. Back in the, uh, I think it was the early 1800s in Yorkshire, England, there were two boys born to a man by the name of Taylor. The oldest son set off to make a name for himself in Parliament. The youngest son, well, he chose to give his life to the Lord Jesus Christ. The youngest son, Hudson, went to China and uh, to what he thought would be certain obscurity, the, younger, the older son went to the parliament and, and worked his way up the ranks and, and climbed the ranks and, and made a big name for himself. But let me just say this. If you go to an encyclopedia today, you can look up Hudson Taylor and you can find columns written about him and his work in China and other places. If you go to his older brother, you know what it says about him? Just these words. The older brother of Hudson Taylor. <laughs> 
the older brother of Hudson Taylor. You know what the Bible says in 1 John 2.17? The world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Why do we care if we get any recognition for it whatsoever? John the Baptist saw his followers come to him one day, and, and they said, uh, Rabbi, we're a little bothered by something. You know, that, that Jesus that you baptized down there in the Jordan, everybody's following him now. He's got the crowds. They were, they were miffed. And John said, don't worry about it. He said, I told you I'm not the Christ. I told you I'm not even worthy to unloose his sandals. He must increase. This one Jesus must increase. John said, I must decrease. Bible says in Romans 12.10, Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. When it comes to honor, prefer that they get it. Prefer that someone else get it. Deflect it. Stay in the shadows. Stay in the background. May God give the Fargo Baptist Church a heart for every one of us to remain unnamed. May we actually strive, endeavor to remain unknown. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.